So today, if you can't tell by my dress, is Palm Sunday. The boys aren't going to be thematic for you, so I thought I would be. But it is an incredible day. This week is so significant to us who follow Jesus, for us who know the story of what happened on the cross. And though we aren't as liturgical as some traditions with Holy Week, I really encourage you and I challenge you, Calvary, to this week at some point, and I encourage you to do it as, as early as possible, go to the Gospels and open up the passages that talk about the last week that Jesus spent here on earth because every day of it is so significant. Everything that Jesus did is always intentional. It's full of rich symbolism and, it, and it's just full of meaning for us. And so, but even more, this last week is really particularly special. The words he spoke, every one of them really matter and have something for us to pull from, even for us today, all these years later. And so I just challenge you, don't let it just be something that happens every year. Go back, read it, ask for God to show you something fresh and new. And so that week, it starts off with Palm Sunday. It's known as the triumphal entry of Jesus where he comes down from the Mount of Olives and he goes into Jerusalem during the busiest time of the year, Passover. And he reveals not just, not in words yet, he will do that and it will get him put on the cross, but he definitely reveals in this ride into Jerusalem who he is. There was no mistaking who Jesus was communicating that he was when he made that ride on that donkey into Jerusalem. He is Jesus, the Son of God, Messiah, the awaited deliverer, the one who was coming to save. He is a different kind of king, ruling and reigning over a different kind of kingdom. He was ushering that in with his birth, with his life, and he was about to break it through in such a powerful, history-changing way. Jesus is getting closer and closer to the cross this week with every move that he makes where he's going to lay his life down and come out on the other side of death. And don't let this get lost on you, Calvary, so that you and I could belong to this kingdom, so that we could be called family again, so that we could come into the presence of God with no barriers, open as sons and daughters of the living God. Amen. Isn't that amazing? There is no king like our king. And so I'm going to read the Palm Sunday passage, and I'm choosing the Gospel of Luke to read it from because of the way that it's worded and translated, and you'll see why in a second. But just prior to this, just prior to that ride into Jerusalem, what really launched kind of the political uproar um, that was about to happen was that Jesus just raised Lazarus from the dead, and it was reported back to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees and the chief priests did not like this at all. They didn't like anything Jesus did, and this was the, like the last straw for them. Let's look at it in John, what they did. The chief priests and the Pharisees, they called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and they will take away our temple and our nation. And so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. They really thought it was them against Jesus. If only they knew, eh? 
the mark from this point on, it was out on Jesus. If anyone was to see him, they were to report it so that the Pharisees and the chief priests, they could trip him up and they could finally arrest him. The mark was also out on Lazarus, as we see as we continue on in John. The chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. Dying and walking out of a tomb and witnessing that will do that, right? <laughs> That'll convince some people, I think. Jesus knew that this was it. This was the week. This was the time that it was supposed to happen. He couldn't hold back the crowds any longer, and he didn't intend to. So much of Jesus' life on the earth, when he did miracles, there were times, very specific times, where he would say, just keep quiet about this. Don't go and tell everybody. Sometimes he said you could. Sometimes he said that you couldn't. And there was a reason for that, a deliberate reason. There was a timing that this was supposed to happen. And this was the time. So Jesus rides with a, with a target on his back. Where does he go? Right into the city. Right into the city. And he was followed by crowds. And crowds went before him. Crowds surrounded him. Crowds of people who watched Lazarus walk out of the tomb. Crowds who witnessed his many other miracles. Crowds who saw him cast demons out of people and set people free. Crowds of people who saw him protect, respect, and honor women. Love you, Jesus. Who saw him have dinner parties at tax collectors' houses. Who watched him embrace the unclean and the cast out. And who called them family, who let them touch him. And he embraced them as well. He was surrounded by crowds who saw him who saw something supernatural, who saw something otherworldly, and who believed. They were hopeful that this was their Messiah who came to save them. They were hopeful that he was going to change everything, and he would. Not quite in the way that they were expecting as they overlooked the city, and they were like, oh my goodness, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. He walked out of the tomb. Let's go take out the Romans. And as I preached about a while ago, he didn't do that. He is a king of peace, and his kingdom is one of peace. And he would change everything in ways that they could never imagine, not just for the nation of Israel, but for you and for me and for all of creation. Amen. He rode into that city knowing full well who was going to see him. He rode into the city knowing full well what would happen to him and knowing full well that we were worth it all anyways. The word of God says that it was because of the joy set before him that Christ endured the cross. How do those two things go together? Because as we've been talking about over and over again every week with Pastor Bill, that's what love does. That is an example of just full sacrificial love. He loves us that much. So I've been preaching on that passage, this, this entry into Jerusalem, which I'm going to read in a second. I've been doing it for a few years now, and when you do something for a few years on the same passage, it gets a little boring, where it, not the word of God, don't get mad at me, it's always exciting. But I'm just reading it, I'm reading it over and over again, and I'm like, God, like, what, what do you... I, give me something new, like give me something fresh. Because typically what I would do is I would talk about that passage. I'm going to talk about the incredible symbolism of it. I would probably contrast Pilate's ride into Jerusalem with Jesus' ride and 
how different those were, those two kings and those two kingdoms. I would talk about the crowds and how they were screaming Hosanna and then they were yelling crucify him a little bit later. And if you want to hear that sermon, it's on YouTube and it's last year and you can go listen to that. But as I read it this year, I just said, God, I need something fresh. What's something that maybe I overlook? And as he always does, he pulls through and he said, what about this? And so I just pray that what he caused me to pause on in the passage and challenge me with in a really inspirational way. I pray that that would happen for you as well. We're still in our Listen, Learn, Live for the Father series, and back when we planned this preaching and teaching series, I got assigned for this Sunday, um, participating versus spectating. Serving versus spectating. And so I read through the Palm Sunday passage with that in my mind, and I just said, God, how can I connect these two? Obviously, Jesus is the servant of all servants, but there was something else that I saw. So let's read the passage together, and then I'm just going to take you there. So I hope, I hope you like it. I hope, I hope that it does something to you, because it did something to me. Luke, tw- Luke 19, 29, it starts, As he approached Bethpage, Jesus, and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you. As you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks, why are you untying it? Say, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, why are you untying the colt? They replied, the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is what jumped out at me this time around. The first is the donkey owners. And the second is the Lord needs it. That sounds like a an oxymoron, the Lord needs it. Does the Lord need anything? Well, we'll talk about that in a second. Because the Lord needed a donkey. We know that. It says it. He needed it. And he told his disciples, go and take this donkey and say, when they ask, the Lord needs it. The Lord needed a donkey to fulfill the prophecy. In the Old Testament, in Zechariah, this, what Jesus is doing, riding down into Jerusalem, is a fulfillment of prophecy. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so this morning, I wanted to introduce you to the underrated donkey owners. Now, we don't know anything about them, but I found a video by people more creative than I who are going to tell you all about them. It's a longer video than I would ever show, but I got permission to do it, so I'm doing it. And I probably would have done it anyways and asked for forgiveness later. It sets it up so well, but just a disclaimer in case it isn't already assumed, I am very aware that this video takes full creative liberties. We do not actually have this story in the scripture, but the point is very theologically sound, okay? And so you're gonna get it. But anyways, without further ado, meet the owners. I'm married to a cat lady. Yeah, you know the type, I don't have to explain. Well, a cat lady, except with 
donkeys. We live in Bethphage, my wife and I. It's a small village about halfway from Bethany to Jerusalem. It's on the east side of the Mount of Olives. It's not far from the mountaintop. We're not rich, not poor. We're as normal as normal can be. We own a small shop that sells firewood for camping to pilgrims on their way to Jerusalem. Our most valuable possession, however, a donkey. Kind of an older donkey and her foal. It's nearly weaned, never been ridden, and still follows its mother around. Yes, I'm irritated at my wife. Wean it, break it, and the colt is worth more. But my wife, it's like it's her precious child. She treats it like a precious child. She won't let me train it, won't even let me touch it. Donkey lady. We make extra money by renting out the donkey to those who are fatigued from walking up the Mount of Olives. And it would double if I could rent out that colt. Traffic has increased due to, um, well, let's just say these are exciting and dangerous times. Weeks ago, uh, less than three miles from here in the village of Bethany, Lazarus was raised from the dead by Jesus. I mean, I, I don't know. It's the story and you don't go making things up like that. Lots of people hope to see Lazarus and, uh, you know, verify what's happened to him. It's a pretty big deal. He was dead for days, four, I'm pretty sure. Um, so that's the exciting part. The dangerous, well, I've heard some of the travelers are looking for ways to kill Lazarus, eliminate any trace of Jesus' ability to raise people from the dead. It's just what I've heard. So it's the Sunday before Passover, already a steady stream of people on the road through our village coming from the countryside to Jerusalem to celebrate. The uh, donkey lady and I are outside preparing to paint some lamb's blood above the door frame and on either side. We've got our hyssop branches to use as paintbrushes. This is not a required part of modern Passover activities, but you know, we like the, the reminder of the Passover story from Exodus. We hear a noise behind us, turn around, two men untying our donkey and the foal stealing in broad daylight. Hey, I shout, and they freeze. They just stare, what are you doing? I can't believe how brazen. I mean, who do you think you are? Right there, right in front of our eyes. I'm getting all amped. You know, I'm a strong guy. I, uh, I chop wood for a living. Size point. This is not happening. No, sir, not today, right? One of them says, and his, his voice uh, so soft, well, the Lord needs it. He'll send it back soon. It's like an angel has closed my mouth. I can't say anything. I look at donkey lady. <laughs> she looks at me. We just nod our heads. And the men walk away with our most valuable possessions, her precious baby. So a little while later, we hear a shout in the distance toward Bethany. And then a crowd 
comes into view, heading straight toward us, and we can hardly believe our eyes. Some guy is leading our donkey. Behind him, another man rides on our colt, robes draped over the colt like blankets, and he's sitting on top. We expect the colt to bolt toward us, to, to its home, to its manger, you know, to feed. And the colt stays calm, follows its mother, passes us, heads toward Jerusalem. And I walk to Donkey Lady, who is smiling from ear to ear, by the way, and I point. It's the Lord. It's, it's Jesus. She just beams. He needs, he needs our donkey. And it's like a punch to the gut. Can this be the Messiah? The Lord who created the universe needs something? He needs something that we can give him? Ordinary people, a, a donkey lady and her husband meeting the Lord's need? Jesus rides down the west side of the Mount of Olives and people throw palm branches onto the path in front of him. And some throw their cloaks on the ground and the crowds nearest Jesus, they're just, they're delirious with joy. And some of us know and some of us don't, but Jesus is fulfilling the prophecies of Isaiah and Zechariah about the king of Israel entering Jerusalem. And, and our unridden cult is a critical piece of the prophecy. Jesus needed our cult to fulfill prophecy. The people around the fires in the huge valley, they look up at Jesus and they see him as their king, their Messiah. They cheer, chant, chant verses from the scriptures. Hosanna, blessed is, is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Hosanna to the son of David. Jesus goes down the steep path and the sound of the thousands of people, it's, it's overwhelming. Some of the Pharisees at the front of the crowd, you know, they're furious. They know the crowd is acknowledging Jesus is the Messiah. They rebuke Jesus. They try to get him to quiet the crowd. With a look on his face, I can only describe as sublime. He says, If the crowd is made to be quiet, the very stones on the ground will shout out. When the triumphant crowd approaches Jerusalem, and Jesus steps down from the donkey full and uh, quietly tells one of his apostles, take it back to its owner. I mean, I hear him. So I step up, I take my two donkeys. Jesus smiles. And, and he says four words to me. You met my need. Why is Donkey Lady not with me? What a moment. And I'm, I'm going to have to go back and try to recreate it for her. I reach home, I hug her. She 
is the reason we were able to meet the Lord's need. And I tell her that. She was right to keep the cult unridden. I tell her that. I tell my wife. For seven Sundays, I lead the cult to the top of the Mount of Olives. I relive in detail every moment of the day we met the need of Jesus. When I come to the top of the mountain, I just, I just stand there, remembering the fires and the shouts, the palm leaves on the path. And then I return home with a feeling of disappointment for six Sundays. But on the seventh Sunday, in the distance is a group of men. I take the colt and we go. And as we get close, I see it's Jesus with his apostles. I am only about a stone's throw away. And Jesus starts rising in the air. He goes into the clouds and disappears. I return home with the colt to my wife. He's gone now. He's really gone. I tell her of the story of Jesus rising in the air. She doesn't even seem surprised. We were willing to meet his need, she says. And many people were blessed. I know that should make me feel better, but I'm, I'm sad. He's gone. Now, we will meet the needs of his followers, she says. I'm so glad I married a donkey lady. Jesus says when we help others in his name, we are helping him, meeting his need, meeting the need of the Lord God of the universe. So we know that God is completely fulfilled in his relationship with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He, he doesn't truly need anything, and yet he created things in such a way where we weren't created to be just spectators in his divine plan for the world, right? And so we, we read in scripture that, that God who, who made hev the heavens and the earth, everything is given through him. Everything belongs to him. And yet we read Jesus' words in, in Matthew 25 where he speaks in this parable. And it's to kind of be a, a foreshadowing of the final judgment. And, and this is what it says. And I think it's important that we read it together. The king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father. Take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, saying, When did we do all of these things? And the king will reply, Truly I tell you, Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. I know it's not the same thing, but I think of as a parent, I think of my kids. And whenever someone is kind to them, 
whenever someone invests time with them and shows up for them and is a blessing to them or just makes them happy, makes them laugh, it's as if they're doing that to me as their mom, right? And likewise, when someone hurts my kids, oh, Jesus, help me. Bobby's laughing because it's so true. I, I need help sometimes. I love them. And it, it just feels like it's as if it was done to me because those are my most loved people on the planet, right? And to think that God feels this way about every single one of his kids, I think that it matters to God a great deal how we love one another and how we treat one another. That whole love your neighbor as yourself thing, that wasn't a suggestion from the creator of the world. That was a commandment that he put right up there with love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Man, this thing matters to him. And, I th- and the triune God, the Father, Son, the Spirit, the fact that they've created the order of things to be set up in such a way where we wouldn't be spectators, but we would be participants in his divine agenda for all of creation. That's amazing. What a life we have been invited into. We have been commissioned in the word to do a few things while we're here. Did you know that? Here's just a couple of them. It'll be on the screen. Care for creation, love one another, spread the good news to every corner of the earth. Go make disciples, meet one another's needs by sharing our gifts and our resources with radical generosity. I don't imagine that God invites our participation because he needs for himself, but because he wants for us. I'm so glad that God didn't create me to just be a spectator in the awesome things that he is doing in the world. I'm so glad that in his divine plan, I'm not a bench warmer. I'm a key player. And you have all been made not to be bench warmers, but to be key players in what God is doing to redeem and reconcile all things to himself. And so I think that's the challenge when I see these donkey owners. And I know what we watched was imaginary, but who knows? I mean, the owners gave. They had something. The Lord needed it, and they gave it. And it was used to fulfill prophecy. The Lord has given us things. The Lord has created us in such a way to fulfill prophecy with him. Isn't that amazing? Like the most amazing moments of my life are those Nothing else compares, not even close compares to the moments where I have felt, oh my goodness, God just used me in his divine plan for the world, in his divine plan for somebody else. It keeps me up at night. It makes me do this very strange job. It's amazing. My life is so rich and it's so full and it's not always easy. It's not always easy, but I wouldn't want any other life than participating in God's divine plan. So I ask you today on this Palm Sunday, what is it that you have? What you and I have probably isn't the same, but you have something I don't. And so how God's going to use me to fulfill prophecy is not the same way that he wants to use you Do an inventory, you guys. What skills, what talents, what resources, what passions, what life experiences, what heartaches, what grief, what overcoming 
Has God brought you through, faithful God, to see you through on the other side that you know somebody else is going to go through at some point? Has God given you a gift to teach? Has he given you a gift to nurture and to care? I'm telling you, Annette's here somewhere. She, God has given her the gift of cooking and baking. And I tell you, in all seriousness, she made me a meal once while I was working here that she will never know how much my family needed that that day. I needed it so badly. And God was used his hands through her to care and to use her gift. And she does it for so many people in our community. I'm so grateful for her. What do you uniquely have? Will you lend it like the owners, even if you're not sure what he could use it for? In my closing, I just, I wanted to share some personal testimony. I wanted to share two stories that are very significant to me. And I could, you know me, I could be here all day long. And I have so many stories to share. So many stories of being on the receiving end of open hands. And I am so grateful for every single one. The insignificant ones to somebody else and the ones that, you know, are, are, everyone would like, oh yeah, that matters a lot. They all matter to me. And I can look back and I can see time and time and time again. When I, this wasn't, I wasn't planning to tell this, but maybe I guess I need to. When I was like 16 years old, I was in a very, very difficult place, very dark place in my life. And my mom, she was very worried about me. And all she knew to do in that season of my life was just to pray for me. And she came to me once, as she usually did, in this room of our house that always just made me instantly cry because I knew something, something was going to happen in there where God spoke to her and she was going to say it to me. And I've prayed for that gift every day that I've been a parent, man, because she had one. And she came to me, and I wasn't even wanting to talk to her in that moment. And she said, you know what, God, I was praying for you, Kathleen, and God gave me this vision. And it was this vision of, you know how on a map when you've been somewhere you put a little pin in it? And someone who travels all over the place, they'd have a lot of little pins, right? Well, God gave her this vision of my life, that there would be these little red pins in these key moments all along the way. And those pins represented people that were not her, who God used to step in at the right time, in the right moment, and with open hands, remind me that God is faithful, that he sees me, that he will always invite me back home. And I can tell you that vision has come true it's still coming true. There's years ahead of me that have not happened yet where I know those pins are going to be there waiting for God to use at exactly the right time. And so one of those pins in my life was Dean and Pat. And this is Dean and Pat. Oh, I love them. Neither of them are living today, um, but man, the legacy they left. So I moved to Kansas City by myself when I was like 19 years old. Timelines get blurry when you have three kids, everybody. <laughs> My brain doesn't work like it used to, but I think it was around 19. I lived there for two years, and Dean and Pat are a couple that let me live in their house. I was a stranger. They would have gotten an email from the pastor at one point. Dean was a board member, um, and they would have gotten an email. This young girl is coming from Canada to learn about ministry. She needs somewhere to live. And they said, we'll take her. And I'm so glad that they did. I had my own kitchen in this little wood panel department that was like attached to their house. And there was a door that separated us. And I would get a knock on that door every single morning. And Dean told me really early on, he said, I'm gonna knock on this door every morning that we're ready for breakfast, that breakfast is made. You do not have to come, 
but I am always going to knock so that you know that you're always invited to come and join us. We won't be offended if you don't, but we'd love it if you would. Well, as a 19-year-old who didn't want to cook for myself and I could smell homemade fresh bread, guess how many times I went over there for breakfast? Almost everyone, unless I was sick or sleeping or whatever. But I spent a lot of time around their table. They prayed for me. They prayed with me in those years and beyond those years. They were open-handed with me all the time. My favorite memory with them is that they took me on a family trip, just me though, and my friend who was also living with them, um, no other family members, but they had this tradition in their family that they took their children on to this trip to Silver Dollar City in Branson, Missouri. It's this Christian theme park, it's cheesy as anything. But they took their kids, they took their grandkids, and they said to me and my friend, that's my friend Jackie, she was an intern too, and they said, we wanna take you on our family trip. And I'm telling you, we hit every single family tradition, and there were many, including C.S. Lewis audio tapes in the car on the way there. You don't have to be cool to make a difference, you guys. You just need to be, you just need to be present, because I loved those C.S. Lewis audio tapes, and I don't forget them. And they took us to their favorite seafood restaurant. They took us to this old school, oh my gosh, motel. Hotel motel is a motel. And they knew the owner. The owner came out, Dean Pat, because they went there every year. They went there with their kids. They went there with their grandkids. This is how old it was, my friends. If you know, you know. They gave me a bag of quarters to use in the adjoining room. I'm like, what the heck? It was, oh, the, the furniture, nothing. They, they were proud of it. They're like, nothing's changed since we brought our first kid here. I'm like, I believe you. I believe you. It was so special, you guys. I felt like, I felt like their grandkid. And I may have shared with you before, I don't remember, but I did not have a close relationship with my grandparents. I didn't have one sleepover, let alone a trip. And so it was just one of these pins that God said, and God communicated to me, you think I don't know that you grieve that? Watch this. And I got to be family. And they were my family. I, I, I wrote them an email. I moved back to Canada to go to college. And after a year of my program that I was in, I was getting, I was feeling... God was doing something in me, and I emailed Dean, and I asked for him and Pat to pray for me because I was considering very last minute to quit my program and to go to Bible college, master students. Sometimes that happens, eh? You can't run anymore. Um, and I emailed him, and I said, you can change from that picture, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> awkward. Um, and and I, was, I didn't know what to do, and I said, could you just pray for me? This is the email, and I went back into my old email just last week to find this because I knew it was there, and it just brought tears to my eyes remembering it. And it said, Kathleen, we've been praying. What's happening? Should we fix up a bedroom for you? They didn't know where I was going to go to school. There's a Bible college in Missouri. <laughs> and, uh, and they were ready. They were ready to fix up a bedroom for me, and they meant it. They meant it. And they would have taken me back in a heartbeat. I'm so grateful for those open hands. The next story is this, this is Kira. And I'm sharing a, a very small part of Kira's story and her photo and her name with her permission. And she's gonna tell her whole testimony someday and I'm gonna be there and I'm gonna be so happy for her because that testimony is gonna change lives but she's not ready yet and that's okay. She will be someday. Bobby and I, we became Kira's youth pastors when she was in grade eight. We attended her grade eight grad. We attended her grade 12 grad. We prayed with her at so many altars. 
at youth retreats that we forced her to go to. That was in our backyard at our house. When she was in high school, I picked her up in the middle of the night when she needed me, and I went to her in moments when she wasn't sure what she needed, but that she needed somebody to be with her. She stayed on and off at our house at different points, and then Bobby and I, we resigned our position there. Um, we were just waiting for Bobby to start his job here at the Bible College, and that made it a lot easier for one of our students to actually move in with us. And so Kira actually moved in with us permanently for a while. We were renting a three-bedroom apartment. We had three kids under three. That third kid was a very new newborn who was supposed to move into that newly set up nursery that I was so happy and excited about. I had just set up in my little nesting phase, had the baby. He was with us for a bit. He was supposed to move in there. But Kira moved in instead, a 17-year-old girl. And why that happened was because we felt in that season like the Lord said to us about that room, the Lord needs it. He has a plan for that. And we felt about Kira that the Lord said to us, she needs you. And so we opened our hands and we opened our home with no regret. We would do it all again. Her and I, we went prom dress shopping together. And for a mother of three boys, that was a really special moment for me. I picked her up from her prom party that I shouldn't have let her stay out as late as I let her stay. And I grounded her after prom. And taking a phone away from a teenager and dragging her everywhere with you for a month, which should have been longer, <laughs> uh, is no job for the faint of heart, let me tell you. Parents, you know it. Bobby and I, we spent hours and hours, many late nights, with a newborn and a toddler. But Kira, we were up most of the time with. And we, we spoke life over that girl. And we spoke truth into her every single chance that we had. And Kira actually moved with us here to Peterborough when we moved here. Um, and she attended Calvary when we were attending Calvary before we were ever on staff for a little bit of time. And till her time in our home came to an end. I went from having toddlers to having a 17-year-old girl living with me with significant trauma in her life. And though I didn't feel prepared at the time, I look back and I actually see that we had just enough of what we needed and what she needed for God to do something pretty special. The first is that we had a room. Some people thought we should have given that to one of her kids. They don't need it, you guys. They have it. They have it now. She needed it. She had no room. And she needed it more than my kids ever will need it, I pray. We had a love for God, Bobby and I, and a love for each other that Kira needed to see lived out in front of her. She needed to see what family who showed up for each other looked like. She needed to see what a couple looked like who never yelled. She used to make fun of us, say, hey, Bobby? She'd be like, come on. When have you guys got, like, what's your worst fight? It was such a weird question to be asked, but we're like, ah, uh, I don't know. So I tried to, like, make us not seem perfect, which we're not. He knows that. I know that. But we, like, shared this story. I'm like, well, this one was pretty rough. And she laughed at us. She's like, that is not a fight. That does not count. And I look back. I'm like, she needed that. She needed to see what healthy love looked like. And then the last thing that I had was I had this specific passion in my life, I think a gifting, to champion teenage girls and to see God just miraculously transform their life. Why was that given to me? Probably because that was my experience. I was championed. 
I was saved by the love of God. And my experiences allowed me to sit in very difficult places with that girl that others might have found very difficult and unsettling. It allowed me to sit there calmly, and it allowed me to sit there compassionately, and it allowed me to see her through it. Because I had those experiences. It helped Bobby and I stay true to our mission when people would say to us, why would you do this? Why would you, in the more difficult parts, because it was pretty obvious sometimes, why would you open yourselves up to this when you have a small family at home to care for? It was such an easy answer, you guys, because she was worth it. She was worth it. She was worth it to God. I was worth it to Dean and Pat. I was worth it to Joan, who I shared about a little while, a few weeks ago. I was worth it to so many people who it probably would have been easier for them to have time with their own family. It probably would have been easier for them to not take a random young adult on a vacation with them. It probably would have been easier to have money to save for retirement and not spend on all the groceries for me every week. It probably would have been easier, but I was worth it. And she was worth it to us. And I would do it all over again. And I texted her as early as last week. And I said, Kira, there will always be a room that I will set up for you if you ever need it. And I mean it with every fiber of my being. And so I ask you, what do you have? Because you have so much. It may, it may not be your checkbook. It may not be your bank account. That's fine. Trust me, we didn't either. <laughs> but you've got something. You have a skill. You have an experience. You have a gift. Maybe you have a room. Maybe you have love to give that you haven't been able to give it to someone because you don't have a grandchild or a child of your own. Well, guess what? There are so many who don't have that kind of love and would love to be on the receiving end of your open hands as you give your love to them. Bobby, he's going to, and the band, they're going to just uh, sing a song to close. And because I'm a, I'm a long yapper, um, I am going to close the service, but... Um, I asked them to, to prepare this song just for a moment of reflection because I feel like you can't, well, you can't hear God unless you listen to him. You can't hear him unless you ask him to speak. And so if you have to go, no problem at all. Please come back for Good Friday. Please bring your kids and your neighbors to the egg hunt. And please come back Easter Sunday, 10 a.m. Um, and, and feel free to go. No guilt, no pressure. Um, but if you want your life to be so rich and full and live a participating life with the Father, I just encourage you to just spend a minute, say, God, what bring to my mind what you have given me. And if you have a spouse here with you today, then afterwards maybe talk to each other about what God has brought to your mind of what you have and what you could do together. Because chances are, like that little story, it was funny, but like, oh, I thank God I was married to a donkey lady. I thank God I was married to somebody who wants to live life open-handed. It's the greatest gift I've ever been given. Always on the same page. Hey, can we use this? What, can we give that? Oh, this person asked if they could stay at our house during our vacation. Yeah, why not? Like, I just thank God. And so talk to each other. Um, call a friend, be held accountable, just, just so in this moment, ask God, God, what do I have? Bring it to my mind. And then say, God, how do you want to use it in your divine plan for the world? Because if you open your hands and you let him have that, your life and someone else's life will never be the same. I promise you that. Let's listen.
I love you. I love you. Won't you even ask? My answer will be yes. I love you. I love you. Would you just stand for me as I I just want to offer you this benediction as you go. So may every single one of you find yourselves on the receiving end of the open hands of the Father. And may then you too live open-handed, responding whenever you hear a call to participate. Here I am, Lord send me. I thank you God for that journey to the cross where you opened up your hands and you gave us everything that we would ever, ever need. Amen? Amen. We'll see you on Good Friday. God bless you.